I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans. Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 11. We'll begin at verse 1. Romans chapter 11. We'll begin at verse 1. Where Paul writes, I ask them, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They demolish your altars. I alone am left and they're seeking my life. But what is the divine reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. One of my favorite memories growing up was time with my grandmother. I had one of those precious little short round country grandmothers, you know, the kind with the country grandma dress on and the country grandma apron on at all times. And she was just one of those neat people. We would call her up and say, Grandma, we're going to come down to your house. She lived better, just a little better than a mile and a half away from us. And so we would go riding our bicycles down to grandma's house. We called to tell her we were coming because we knew that meant the fried apple pies would be hitting the cast iron skillet while we're making our way there. She would have some kind of something for us. You know, she was one of those grandmas that had the country kitchen table that had the cloth over the top of it that when you would come in, you peel back the cloth and that's where the biscuits from breakfast or other things would be there for you to sit down and enjoy. She spoiled us royally. One of my favorite things, though about my grandmother that I still cherish today are grandma's quilts. In our bedroom, Nancy and I have a quilt rack that has a couple of quilts that my grandmother made for me. We call them peace quilts because what grandma would do would be that she would take pieces of material from various things. When she would finish a quilt, sometimes you'd look at it and, and you would actually think, that came off of one of my shirts, or that came off of curtains that I had when I was a kid, or I remember that bedspread there, that was part of a bedspread. And she would cut these pieces of the material, sew them together, make a quilt top, and then she would quilt a quilt to give to her family. And, and I would love those because they, they carry so many memories with them. And one of the things I cherish about those quilts today is that every stitch, I can just remember, especially in the wintertime, going into my grandmother's house and off to the side of the living area, 
would be the quilt rack that would be set up and, and the quilt would be stretched out and grandma would be there with the thimble on her finger and constantly just sewing one stitch after the other, stitching a quilt throughout the winter. We have those precious things. They were made from pieces. They were made from remnants. Remnants, pieces of something else, something that was a part of something different. Paul's letter to the church at Rome is often seen as his masterpiece. It is Paul's great work of theology. It's where Paul basically is sharing this is his faith and who Jesus Christ is as our Savior and Lord. This is what God is doing intervening in human history to bring salvation to the world. This is who the church now is being called to be as the called out people of God. This is what it looks like to be the faithful remnant of God. When you look up that word remnant, for example, in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you'll see that as a noun, remnant means a usually small part, a trace remaining, or a small surviving group. If you see it as an adjective, it means still remaining, still remaining. And what's happening in chapter 11, the scripture that we just read, is that some were asking, has God rejected Israel? Has God rejected his chosen people? Has God just given up on Israel? And Paul is answering by no means. Of course God's not given up on his chosen people. He said, one, I'm Israeli. He said, I, I, I'm from Israel. I, I am a descendant of Abraham. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, no, God has not given up. But then he said, and remember Elijah, remember the story of Elijah. And he quotes then 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, for us to understand that, we kind of have to know the story of Elijah. We have to know what was happening that Paul was referring to. And if you turn back in your Bibles to 1 Kings, especially chapter 18, you'll see this interesting story that's going on. King Ahab is married at this time to a woman who was, well, she was a pretty evil woman. Her name was Jezebel. And again, speaking of that grandmother, I was just telling you about one of the things that I grew up remembering about grandma is if she was ever to say something about somebody that she thought was kind of mean or kind of evil, my grandmother would just go, you know, she's a little Jezebel. Well, Jezebel was one who was leading the people of God away. See, Jezebel followed the Canaanite god Baal and King Ahab now is following Baal. He actually builds an altar to the Canaanite god Baal. He builds a pole to the goddess of fertility. He just starts leading the children of Israel totally away from God. And Elijah is called to confront him. It's not the easy thing to be called to confront the king about coming back to God. 
There's now been a drought in the land and finally it comes to head and we, we read the story in 1 Kings 18 of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal who go up onto the top of Mount Carmel, a high mountain, and there they have this contest. And I encourage you to read the story. They have this contest between Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal on whose God is real, whose God is able to, to light the altar, to light the offering. And they go through this elaborate contest and ultimately God reveals himself. And then the prophets of Baal are destroyed. Well, when King Ahab tells Jezebel what just happened, or when Jezebel hears what happened, she makes a threat on Elijah's life and she says, by tomorrow this time, you're going to have what happened to you, the same thing that just happened to all these prophets of Baal. And Elijah hears this and flees for his life. Always amazed by that. I love how human the scripture lets us see people being because God just poured down fire from heaven and lit the altar showing his incredible power. And then Jezebel makes a threat and Elijah just seems to forget this God that's on his side and goes fleeing away, scared to death for his life. Finally, God leads him up to a mountain so he can reveal himself to him. And, and, and you may know the story as you read it that there was this great wind that was destroying things all around, an amazing wind, but God wasn't in the wind. There was this earthquake that occurred and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was this amazing fire and God wasn't in the fire. But then there was the still small voice. That's the context of what Paul was referring to. There was this still small voice and God says to Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, Elijah answers, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. That's what Paul just quoted. But then Paul reminds us of the rest of the story, God's answer is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, where God said, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the remnant. You're not alone. There's a small group. There's a piece that's left. There's about 7,000 more who did not bow down to Baal, and they have not kissed him. And they are the faithful remnant. This is the group that's not followed the God of the land, the God of the culture, the cult of the day. But this is the remaining remnant, and you and the remnant can still act and do amazing things, and God can still carry out God's vision and God's purpose. Remnant. It's the remaining. It's the surviving, the still remaining. It's the faithful group that's there, the faithful remnant. 
there was the remnant of Israel, as we just read. And in Romans, once again, if you back up to chapter 9, you will hear Paul refer again to the faithful remnant, the group that did not follow the cult of the world and the worldly values and the culture of the day, the norms of the day, but were called out. That called out, which is what church means, called out people of God. He refers to it in Romans 9 as he quotes, actually, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 and 22, which is where God was sharing with Isaiah when this Assyrian captivity is over, there will be a remnant, the people of Israel. There will be a peace, a still remaining group that's faithful to God that will be brought back into the promised land to carry out the covenant. And when Paul shares this, in Romans 11, he, he reminds us, and there's still a remnant today. You see, Paul is recognizing that the church as well is also called to be this faithful remnant that, that pulls out and is faithful to God, doesn't bow down to the God of the world. And I believe, when I read the scripture, and I look at our world today that the need for a faithful remnant is greater today than maybe ever before. Maybe every generation feels that, but it just, it just seems that the church today, especially the Western cultured church, but the church today, just we seem to be in a crisis. We have been tempted to follow the, the bail of our day. The, the culture, the God of the culture of our day, the, the world around us. We talk about making disciples for the transformation of the world, and yet we seem to be so concerned about not offending the world that we've basically been incorporated into it. And the church is to be that called out people, that still remaining faithful people of God in the midst of the world around us. I, I worry that we have become so interested in being politically correct that we've been willing to sacrifice Jesus yet again. And I'm not meaning sacrifice him on the cross for the sins of the world. I'm meaning sacrifice Jesus in the sense that perhaps even set him aside. We've the church have become so afraid of perhaps offending someone because of their faith that our reaction has been to deny our own faith. And I don't understand why if I want to be respectful for the faith of others and I want to be respectful that someone has a different faith, but that doesn't mean I have to deny my faith. It doesn't mean that I have to deny who I am and what I believe and who we are as the people of God, as the church. I fear about our church today, the church in our world. I'm not talking about just this particular congregation. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ is that it's, been, it's become so easy to allow the institution of the church, perhaps even the denomination of the church, to become our Baal, our God that we've begun to be more concerned about perhaps preserving the institution of the church 
and the power structures of the church, rather than preserving the integrity of the gospel or proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I'm reminded in Matthew 16 that the foundation of the church is you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responds, I know who you are. Matthew 16, 16, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus said, now that is something I can build a church on. He said, no human being told you this. This was a divine revelation. God has revealed this to you and it's on this faith that I can build my church. And if I build a church on that, then the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Well, the church seems to be struggling today. And, and, and I guess maybe my thinking is that perhaps that's because we've forgotten our foundation on which the church is built. And if the gates of hell cannot prevail against a church built on who Jesus Christ is as the son of the living God, but it sure seems to work wonders on churches that forget who Jesus is as Savior and Lord. Now, I will be honest with you for a while this really pulled me down. For a while, I even was thinking, why am I part of the church anymore? You know, maybe it's time for me just to step aside and maybe it's time just to be done. And then as I read Paul and as I pray and reflect on it, I believe that we actually may be on the verge of God doing something incredible where a remnant is being called to still remain faithful and allow God to use the church then the remnant inside the church even to proclaim Jesus Christ once again to a hurting world. So what does a remnant look like? Well, I think the remnant that God needs to, to see and to be able to work with is a remnant of the church that is unashamedly Christian. Now, that may seem like, oh, how can you have a church in it it, it, it not be unashamedly Christian? But I, I'm talking about a church that, that firmly believes that Jesus is the Christ. I'm reminded Paul, once again in this very letter to the church at Rome, if you back all the way up to the beginning of chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. You see, I, I think to be faithful as the church today means that we're unashamedly Christian and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we really believe. And the reason I am still a pastor of a church today is that I really believe that God really so loved the world that God truly 
gave His only begotten Son. Allowed Him to die that I can be forgiven, to rise that I can have life, to die for all the world and the brokenness of our world and the hurt and pain and the loneliness and the alienation of the world. I believe that God intervened in an amazing way in and through Jesus Christ to do something incredible for a people that He so loved He would be willing to give His life for so that we could be forgiven and have everlasting life if we only believe. You see, that's my theology. It's not my philosophy. It's not the philosophy of the day. It's the faith of the church. It's the faith of the church. And I believe that the remnant then that God needs from the church to be able to, to carry out the calling of the church as a called about people of God to minister His love to the entire world will be a church that's immersed in the Scripture, that, that studies and hears this word from God. I received a call recently from a bishop who was sharing with me that he listens to our worship service, and uh, one of the things he said he loved about our church's worship and, and the way we try to preach is that our sermons and our worship is bathed in Scripture. Well, it's the book of God. It's the Word of God. We, we live in an I think and I feel generation. Just listen to the way we talk. Our arguments tend to be, well, I think and I feel and I believe as if what I think and what I feel obviously then makes it true. But what is it based on? John Wesley believed, you know, that we have four things that we use to help form our faith. Scripture is our primary authority. And then we use tradition, experience, and reason to try to help us understand Scripture and discern what is biblical truth and who we're called to be and that which we believe. But Scripture was always listed as our primary authority. This is, this is the foundation. The others help me understand this Word of God. I think we have kind of pivoted that table to where we're in a, an experience as our primary authority, and I look for Scripture to back it up. And that's kind of upside down. The faithful remnant, I believe, recognizes that we are a people of God, and, and when people ask me, what do you, where do you stand on this or that, I typically respond, where I stand is irrelevant as a pastor and as a Christian, what I'm trying to do is discern where does God stand? Because it's not about me. Even though we're in a me world, and oftentimes for us, our bail of the day is us. We believe we are the ones who can make all the choices. I, I love that scripture in Luke 22, 42, where Jesus says, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's one of the hardest prayers to pray because our reality is often not thy will, but my will be done. That's where we, 
That's where we wrestle. I, I want to be part of the remnant, the still remaining. That in the midst of a world that, that may be struggling so much, there's, there's a called out people of God that's still remaining to be faithful and still really believes in who Jesus is as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and still believes that Scripture has something to say in our world and in our lives. I am unashamed of the gospel. I want to be part of that church. And I hope you want to be part of that church. I hope together we can do that. So I want to challenge you. I I want to encourage you to think through are you ashamed of the gospel or are you part of that faithful remnant? Are we, are we willing to be called out and are we willing to, to recognize that, that there may be the worship of so many other gods around us, but as the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one and we'll love that God, our Lord and Savior, with all of our heart, soul, strength, and our mind. And we'll love our neighbor as ourself. I invite you to be part of that remnant that seeks to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be faithful to a remnant that believes that scripture is still sacred in our lives. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 wraps it up this way. He said, now if you're unwilling to serve the Lord then choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My prayer is that for me and our church, we will serve the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, it is so challenging to be the church today. It is so challenging to be faithful today. And God, when, when we do try to be the remnant, sometimes we feel like we are the ones about to be crucified. But God, we really believe. We really do believe that you did something unique in and through Jesus Christ. That you intervened in the world and that through Jesus Christ... You offered us forgiveness and everlasting life if we'll believe in you as our Savior and Lord. And you've called the church to be the people that share that good news in a world that's struggling to find the God who so loves that he would sacrifice everything. So God, we pray that we'll be that faithful remnant. And the way we learn about what it means to be faithful is immersing ourselves in your holy word and God, we don't believe that it's simply a book of stories or good teachings, but it's the Word of God for the people of God. So God, we just pray that you would help us now individually as Christians and disciples together as your church to be the still remaining, the remnant the piece that you can sew with other pieces to create the quilt, to cover your kingdom with your love and your grace.
and to bring your salvation to the whole world. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And we pray in your holy name. Amen.